Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Avec a Hemingway, and today we are talking about Madame de Lembal. I know I'm saying that wrong. It, I just said to Claudia, it sounds like Rambo or something, but it's like Ramball, like a ball. Okay, got it. Claudine, you tell us the information because I can't even say this woman's name. Yeah, this is, um, we're doing um, a little like four or five episodes in a row that's gonna, That's all about um, some of the ladies that were around Marie Antoinette, and she is yet another one of them. Um, Madame de Lamballe is her name, um, and she was the daughter of the uh, Prince Louis-Victor of Savoie and Christine Henriette um, de Hesse-Rienfort-Rotenberg. It's in a whole mouthful. I'm going to say, um, I say that three times fast. Yeah. Her, um, sh- her sister um, was the uh, D- Duchess of uh, de Bourbon, and she was intended to marry Louis XV. But when they found out she had low fertility, she went on to marry and become the Queen of Spain. Oh, the fertility makes you become the queen of Spain. Having yeah, so I fertility. guess it was okay to not have an heir as the queen of Spain and not um, Louis the Fifteenth. And but I, and also, I'm not really sure how they checked that back then. Yeah, seriously, how did they know that? Yeah, that's, I have no idea. But Marie Therese Louise de Savoie Carrier was the Princess de Lamballe. She was known for her very soft and beautiful looks, and she was um, raised in a very strict household in um, Turin. She was born in Italy. Oh, pretty. Yeah, so she, her parents, you know, were uh, expected a lot of their children. And as a teenager, she was offered um, to marry many different people. Her parents kept turning them all away until the Duke of Petivere wanted his son, Louis Alexander, the Prince of Lamballe, to marry her. The Prince of Rambo. Prince of Rambo. He <laughs> was the great-great-grandson of Louis Fourteenth, descendant of Madame de Montespan, who we've talked about before. Montespan, yes. Yeah, she's the one with the witchcraft. Um, she was, you know, her children were actually legitimized by Louis Fifteenth, you know, under the um, urging of Madame de Montespan. Um, so they were all legitimized. And so he is one of the descendants of uh, that family. Interesting. Yeah. On January 17, 1767 in Turin, she married by proxy um, at the end of uh, at the end of that period to the Duke de, um, Duke de Lamballe. And uh, she, of course, didn't see him yet because it was by proxy. And she arrived later on um, in the month to Nanger, which is in the southeast of Paris. 
So she made it. She made it. She was 17 years old. He was 19. Oh, wow. Um, and he was quite the ladies' man, um, which marriage didn't really stop him in in his pursuits. He would disappear for days at a time, and she, Madame, uh, would just be back there spending her time, a lot of her time, with her father in law, who she really enjoyed, and they had a very close relationship. Thankfully, because this because his son and her husband um, really was not a very great guy. <laughs> Thinks he was with the dad? No, no, I don't think so, but. Um, well, the he was basically he like gave her a bunch of jewelry and was always showering her with, you know, these beautiful gems and necklaces and everything. But then he would take them and give them to his mistresses and ah. to his different um we'll call them whores. <laughs> he was re-gifting the jewels? He was re-gifting her jewelry to um all of these mistresses. So he would go out all the time. And, you know, sleep with all of these different prostitutes and women and just and mistresses and then come back and sleep with her and bring back all of his lovely uh, diseases he picked up along the way. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah. So the poor thing. Uh, But on February 5th, 1767, at a ball at Versailles, she was presented to Louis the 15th, who found her quite amazing and charming. Even with all the diseases, yeah. Well, I don't think that the that, uh, the markings of that had appeared quite yet because that was pretty early. Uh, but to celebrate their wedding, they also had a huge dinner of 130 people that was held at the Hotel Toulouse, um, which is now the Bank of uh, the Bank de France. That's over. Oh. Um, it's not very far from the Louvre. It's near the Marais. It's an I've amazing, done shoots there. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. It's um, opened yearly at the Patrimoine Weekend, which is the third weekend in September. Um, and I got to go inside there and see it. And that that one hall is just uh, amazing. It looks like it rivals uh, the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's gorgeous. In, yeah, it's huge. It's such it, a big place. Yeah, it's very huge. It was built in 1640 for um, Louis Philippe de la Villiers, um, and it was built to hold his art collection that he had. He wanted it to be something like um, the Apollo Gallery at the Louvre. Um, but in 1713, it was sold to Louis Alexander de Bourbon, who was the Count of Toulouse, which is now where we have the name. He was the son of Louis XIV and Madame de Montespan, so another mm-hmm. one. Um, after his death, he gave it to his son, um, uh, Louis-Jean-Marie, who was her father-in-law. That was nice. Yeah. So she spent a lot of her time there while her husband was out convorting. He mm-hmm. ended up, of course, you know, as I said, contracting all sorts of diseases and bringing back to her where it ended up being that her face and her body were um, scarred from the different venereal diseases that he oh that's terrible yeah so he uh he wasn't around for very long because on may 6 1768 at just 20 years old he died of syphilis at 20 oh my gosh he was a baby he had 20 years old yeah so she moved into the hotel toulouse um and then she also uh moved into a cottage that was at the Chateau de Rambouillet that the, um, that the Duke had. And he built this little cottage for her. And she was so upset by seeing her, her own image because her scars were so bad that in the little cottage, he had the mirrors covered up with like and decorated with shells. So she didn't have to see herself. 
Gosh, that is depressing. That sounds like some kind of Disney movie or something. Uh, yeah, it does. But it's so sweet of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, shortly after Marie Antoinette married Louis the Sixteenth, um, Lambouliche was uh, met the young Austrian Dauphine, and they became very quick friends. Like that? Yeah. How because come syphilis that, didn't kill her? What, the what? How come syphilis didn't kill her? I don't know. Maybe it was the other venereal diseases he gave her and not syphilis. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe he got syphilis and then that was just it. Yeah. He, he, they'd only been married for a little over a year. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. quickly. Yeah. So Marie Antoinette, you know, of course, when she arrived, she was 15 years old when she arrived at court. And so she had very few friends and very few people she actually could trust. So the two ladies actually became very good friends. Um, she was invited to spend time at court quite a, quite often. And um, eventually Marie Antoinette actually gave her a big suite of rooms at Versailles and named her the superintendent of the queen's house. That's a good friend to have. Yeah, it's a very good friend to have. Um, in 1774, Marie and um, another woman that came through that our next episode next week will be about, um, the uh, uh, Gabrielle de Polignac. She was very, she was very uh, uh, light and happy and just wanted to have fun. And uh, Lambou was very serious and quiet and enjoyed her time with Marie Antoinette just sitting and reading and talking. Well, wasn't that lovely of them? It was very lovely. So as she kind of got tired with her court life um, and she didn't want to be around everything anymore, that's when Polignac, which, you know, again, we'll talk about next week, kind of came into play. And then um, poor uh, Lambeau was, was uh, kind of pushed aside, even though she was still the superintendent of the Queen's house, she kind of fell out of favor with her. Mm, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. So, but in November 1775, she purchased the Hotel Do, um, and then Marie Antoinette became a uh, queen on May 10th of 1774. And um, the next year is when their relationship kind of really started to sour. And when she purchased the hotel, um, but she also had purchased another property just on the outskirts of Paris in Passy which now is in Paris. <laughs> Very much in Paris. <laughs> Very much in Paris. Um, she purchased this um, property in 1783. It was uh, at the time, you know, it was considered the countryside. It was known for its uh, mineral water, which was also, it would help with healing. Um, and her, the Duke, her father-in-law, she still had been very close with all the time he was getting older. He wasn't doing very well. So she thought, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll have a place out here that he could stay at that will hopefully help with his health. And what happened from there? Well, that, that building, um, is a really cool building. It's actually now it's the Turkish embassy. Um, but if you go out there, it's very close to where the, um, the Balzac museum is. It's in his former home, which is really, it's very small place to go see, but it's really cool. It's one of the Paris museums, so it's free. Um, but you could go and just take a, you walk a couple blocks and you could find the um, gate, of course, where this house is. Um, and there's a plaque there on the wall. Um, it was a really cool um, classical stone uh, mansard roof. It was built in the 17th century for Duke de Lazon, who moved in um, when he was 72 years old with his 15-year-old wife. Ew. Gross. And he, and so one thing I read said, you know, the, the poor thing, then he, he lived 28 more years. 
<gasps> oh my God. Year old probably thought, okay, fine. I'll marry you. You're not going to be around too long. Yeah, but he lived for like 30 more years. Yeah. He learned. Yeah. He basically lived to be a hundred. <laughs> wow. That's like unheard of. Back yeah, then. Especially back then. Um, but in uh, June 1789, um, Lambeau had also actually left um, for England for a little while to take in the waters at Bath, the heaving waters. And when she left, everybody thought that she was on some secret mission for the queen. Um, so the press and the, goss- and the gossips kept talking about it. It was also at the height of the hatred of Marie Antoinette. So it didn't matter if it was really true or not. Was this when's the revolution coming? Well, this it's it's coming here pretty quick. But that they, they uh, you know, it, she wasn't um, the another lady we'll talk about was kind of public enemy number one. Um, Lambeau was kind of you know because she was quieter and she wasn't you know as uh, as out there as some of the other ladies were. Um, but they you know she was incredibly close to Marie Antoinette, so they thought that she was over there. You know, Marie was was. Uh, accused of you know giving money to austria and a bunch of other things and so they all thought this this worked into the plot Uh oh she's gonna get tangled up in it yeah so on october 5th 1789 is when the women marched to versailles and the family was forced to leave um for paris so they could be you know under the watchful eye there at the tuileries palace um, Lambeau was um, with the queen the entire time. She never left her. Um, the two of them became very close again. So, you know, I think that once she realized how devoted and loyal she was, Marie Antoinette kind of warmed back up to her. So they became besties again at the end. They became besties again at the end. Um, and uh, Lambeau moved into the Pavillon de Flore, which of the Tuileries, which is still there today. That is part of the Louvre, which is on the southern, um, the very southern end of the Louvre, um, kind of closer towards the Orsay. And she lived there um, and was close with her and still kept an eye on her. She was still the superintendent of her household. Um, on June 20th, 1791, um, when the royal family tried to escape, the plan was to go to Montmédy, which is where the princess was sent in advance um, to wait for them. Um, huh? And when they uh, didn't arrive and she didn't understand what was wrong, because, you know, of course, we know that she was they were arrested in Varan, which was 50 kilometers, about 30 miles um, before they reached their destination. Oh, no. So she's just stuck there waiting. Yeah, she was stuck there waiting. Marie Antoinette, once they were taken back to Paris, and now instead of just being under, you know, watchful eye at the Tuileries, they were basically held captive there. Um, Marie Antoinette kept sending her letters telling her not to return to Paris, to stay there, um, but she couldn't stay away. And so she, of course, had to come back. When she returned, um, she came with a special gift for Marie that was a little red and white spaniel that she named Thisbe, which was meaning faithfulness until death. Oh, little did they know. Um, but uh, and that was named after um, a story from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Um, but the queen letter changed later changed the name to Mignon, which is of course means cute. <laughs> it was like such a deep meaning, and then it went to- yeah. Well, I'm not sure. You know, I'm sure she didn't think that that's what was going to happen to her before too long. Um, but on August 10, 1792, the Tuileries was attacked. The Swiss guards that were watching the family were all killed, um, and the family was able to escape through the Jardin de Luxembourg. 
or de, Chardin de Tuileries um, to the assembly. Uh, Lamboul was with them. Um, and a few days later, they were all taken by caravan to the temple prison. Uh, oh, yeah. And of course, you know, we did a, a whole uh, last year, we did a whole four episode arc of Marie Antoinette. So to hear more about that, you have to check those out. Um, but so many people had lined the street that the route that should have taken them, you know, just under, you know, 30 minutes by carriage took two and a half hours because so many people were lining the streets to see them be taken away, yelling and screaming at them. This was before iPhones. Yes, it's definitely before <laughs> iPhones. Um, but seven weeks later on August 19th, the overcrowded cells, because they were filled with all of their staff and their servants and everybody, um, they were forced to, to, everybody was forced to leave except for the king's valet. Um, so everybody had to leave. Uh, she tried to keep, uh, Marie Antoinette tried to keep Lamboul there, telling her she was she was family with the ever husband, which is true. They were, you know, related, uh, but they weren't having any of it. And um, as they were telling her she had to leave, she was basically clinging to Marie Antoinette. They were hugging each other and she was screaming and crying. Um, and the guards had to literally pull her away. Oh, she really was like her best friend. That's yeah. so sweet. Very sad. There was another woman there, Madame Torzel, with her daughter. Um, that was with her and Marie Antoinette whispered into her ear, telling her to keep an eye on um, Madame Lamboul because she they she said she's not going to be able to um, handle this because she was just very, uh, very upset and she wasn't feeling too well. Um, so they were taken to um, over to the Marais, to the Hotel de Force, which is was a former residence um, uh, on the Rue de Roi de Cicel. Um, and it was a former residence of Henri-Jacques uh, Napon de Comon, and it was uh, the Duc de la Force. It was a property that was very large. And in 1780, the properties were, um, the smaller building was rebuilt, and it was it was used to house female prisoners, mostly prostitutes. The larger one was built, uh, redone to held um, male prisoners, mostly for not paying their debts. Um, but here was this poor, um, you know, uh, Madame de Lombal and uh, the other ladies being taken there to a bunch of prostitutes were there and they were singing apparently very lewd and horrible songs and telling all sorts of crazy stories. And oh my gosh. poor ladies had to listen to it the whole time. Does not sound like a great welcome. It's not a very great wet welcome. But, you know, Marie Antoinette and, and the, the family were back there in the temple prison um, so they were, the, the ladies were stuck here. Um, they, after one night in on September 2nd, in the middle of the night, a man came into their cell and, uh, woken her daughter, Pauline Torzel, um, and she was scared to death and it was in the dark of night and her mother just told her to be calm and do what they said. So they didn't know where she was going, but it was actually the Scarlet Pimpernel that was Wait. coming. And he took he took her out. He took the daughter out and saved her. Oh, she was saved. He was saved. The daughter was saved, not Madame Lamball. Oh, <laughs> you know, so Madame got left. She was still there, and the and the poor young girl's mother. Uh, but the Scarlet Pimpernel was uh, Sir Percy Blackney, who was a English man who um, had saved many of the French aristocrats from the guillotine. Did he do that for money? 
Um, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about that story. I think I read it when I was a kid. Um, but he was just over there trying to save all of these different, um, I've never come across an aristocrat that actually was saved. This is the first time. So, so it's, it, it actually did happen. We're sure that he yeah, saved Yeah, it somebody. actually did happen, but it, I don't, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't saving the big guys. <laughs> yeah. He saved kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were, uh, the, the next day on September 3rd, they had a trial and Madame Torzel and Lambol were taken behind before court. Um, and Madame Torzel was, um, was convinced to actually say that she pledged her allegiance um, to the uh, revolutionaries and not to the royal family and to um, say that publicly. And she did. And so they released her. And then when it was Madame Lambeau's turn, she refused to take that oath uh, to declare she had nothing to do with the plot that the family was being accused of. Um, and she would not uh, disavow the king or the queen. So she, as soon as uh, she said that, she was taken out to a courtyard where a very angry crowd of people were waiting. Um, the reports of what happened next vary, um, but they're all pretty horrible. Um, the worst one is that she was raped for a few hours. She, her head was removed, her, uh, heart was removed and her genitals were removed and put on stakes and carried through the crowd. Her body was also drugged along with it. And they drug her all the way to the temple prison and screamed for Marie Antoinette to look out the window to see what happened to her friend. Wow, that is disturbing on so many levels. I I still, uh, many stories that I have read that involves them putting heads on sticks and going through the crowds. I just, it's just so disgusting and disturbing. <laughs> yeah, like people are animals. Yeah, like, it's just, yes. yeah, I mean when, you know, Louis the 16th was beheaded, people were dipping their um, handkerchiefs into his blood. And that's actually how sometimes they've been able to do DNA um, research on uh, Louis the 16th because there were some of these rags, but it just seems very strange that that's the keepsake that you want. Yeah, seriously. Like now we have Eiffel Tower keychains before it was yeah. <laughs> the bloody handkerchief. Uh, oh yeah, one euro, one euro. But, oh yeah. my God, Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah, um, they it's just really disturbing. But um, her body was dumped and left behind. Um, and when a servant of the Pentivera family collected her and buried her, and it's still unknown where she was, she's actually buried. Oh, God, girl, why didn't you just say you pledged your allegiance to the revolution? I know she was not. She was standing by her queen all the way to the very end. That poor woman. Oh, that's horrible. Horrible. I'm sure so many horrible things like that happen. I mean, really, Marie Antoinette was lucky that didn't happen to her. They just cut her head off. They didn't, like, torture her and do all that. Yeah, it's really really horrible. Um, Madame Tussauds, of course, as everybody knows, for her, you know, wax wax figurines that freak me out. She um, was commissioned to make a bunch of death masks for people that were killed during the terror. And so she, it was uh, said that she had made one of uh, Madame Lambeau, which I, I kind of uh, wonder how that actually happened um, because she was uh, killed so quickly after leaving court um, and her, you know, body. I mean, if they cut off her head and stuck on her stick, I don't think it was in such great 
you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was it was said to be that that was one of the ones she did over a hundred different um, uh, death masks, which is just such a strange, strange um, yeah. thing that they, people did. Um, but then um, they were later all destroyed with between a shipwreck and a fire. And lady, later during uh, the ones that were remained um, were basically lost in a bombing during the Blitz in the 1940s. Oh, that would be so interesting to see those. How yeah. grim all these like creepy death masks from like their kingdom. It is very strange. There's one of Delacroix um, that he specifically wrote in his will that he did not want one and somebody made one anyway. Um, I mean, it, it's just the the fact that it's called a death mask and just all of it's kind of creepy. But when you look at it, it really doesn't look, I mean, you don't, it's just their face with their eyes closed. <laughs> so when people would die, they would just put like a wax thing on their yeah. face and like make an imprint and then yeah. make a mask. Yes. Yes. And that like, who's, who needed that? Like whose know. idea was that? Just to commemorate, <laughs> I guess, just to commemorate who they were. And it's a very strange, you know, I guess there's that. And then, um, you know, there was the wax dolls, the wax uh, figurines of. Oh, uh, those are even more size. creepy. Yeah. The wax life size, uh, Henry the fourth. Which then it's like they did that. And then what what happened to them? They put them on display for like four weeks. And then do they just like melt them down? Yeah, seriously. Like, oh, gosh, it would be if it was summertime, they'd be melting on their own anyway. I know. Like, do you just have this gigantic, you know? candle in your house with a wick and then you're like oh okay that's good <laughs> <laughs> put a candle on Marie Antoinette's uh, wax hair or whatever <laughs> yeah but that's probably what they use the death mask for too oh there my gosh goes. so weird so weird very very strange well happy endings all around yeah. <laughs> And well, thank you guys for tuning in again to our podcast, for supporting us. Remember, every Sunday, you can take virtual live tours with Claudine. And also, she does travel planning. So if you're planning a trip to France, contact her and she can help you set up the most perfect in-depth tour that you all these secret locations the best tour guides contact claudine today and don't forget to tune in next week for another episode thank you for listening to paris history effect a hemingway if you want to find out some more you could always find me on my instagram page claudine bleu blanc rouge and that's b-l-e-u as in the french way to spell it and each day i post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris or it's lots of fun facts and then also at claudinehemingway.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.